How's it? This week, we're joined by Whitney Aragaki, a biology teacher at Waiakea High School. I've known Whitney for a very, very long time from when her mom was my biology teacher. We'll chat about what's going on in schools from a teacher's perspective, as well as some other stuff. Mahalo for joining us. Please subscribe, rate, and donate. Welcome to On The Rock. What's up, Whitney? Hey, what's up? How's how's it going in beautiful Hilo? Your your windows are all closed. I'm assuming because the AC is on, so I can't tell if it's rainy or not rainy. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think <laughs> that we have AC? We're not Honolulu schools. Oh, okay. It's rainy today, so it I got rainy. kind of cold, and then it's hot and muggy at the same time. So it is what it is, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it. Well, I mean, okay. So we'll start with protocol, so people can know why I brought you on. But um, so let's go at name, where you from, and just tell people what you do and where you work. All right, my name is Whitney Aragaki. I live in Hilo, Hawaii. Born and raised. I only spent four years on the continent, but other than that, I've always lived in Hilo. And I am a public school teacher. I teach at Waiakea High School in Hilo, which is also our alma mater. Woohoo! That's why I brought you on. No, I mean, for real, um, just if for full disclosure so people know, um, Whitney's mom was my teacher. So this is how old I am. And Whitney's mom was my teacher. And I remember meeting you when you were still like in elementary school, I think, because you, you right. would come up to the campus from Waikia Elementary, which is not that, it's all kind of in one big, huge, if you know Waikia, the elementary, Waikia Elementary, Intermediate School, and Waikia High School, sort of in one big kind of complex. It's like one big block, and it's it's walkable between the campuses, kind of. But um, yeah, your your mom was my teacher, and now you're you're like the department head, right? At, are you the department head? At, at... No, I'm not the department head. Okay. But I, you're, I you're a science that. teacher. Huh? I am a science teacher. Yes, I take her role as a biology teacher. So yeah, which is funny. Yeah, she was a biology teacher, and Mrs. Nikova was. Um, she was my. I think I had her my freshman year, but then we would hang out in her room, like during recess and stuff. So that's how. And I, I teachers aided. I was her teacher's aide for like, I think two years. Two years, but she wow. was one of those teachers that made me work as a teacher's aide like I couldn't just cruise in her room and like go in the back and sleep or whatever take a nap she actually had but I guess because she was the department head she had a lot of things that I had to do like sending out putting stuff in teachers um, mailboxes and making copies and all kinds of fun stuff but yeah so it's it's funny a few years ago I think we we kind of connected again because I was at Kupu and then mm-hmm. I came out to recruit, um, wanting to recruit kids from Waiakea High School for our summer program. And then we kind of reconnected and it makes sense because of science and kuku. But um, yeah, so it's it's weird talking stories with you and seeing you in a professional setting, being that my up until a couple of years ago, my last image of you was this, this elementary school girl. Um, but Anyway, so I, I wanted to bring you on because obviously, you know, the COVID situation is going on and I wanted to, you're, you're like the first 
teacher I, I've had on my show. So now that we're kind of headed into Thanksgiving, barreling toward the end of first semester, how's it going? Yeah, I think the honeymoon's over. You know, <laughs> students are just over it. But at the same time, they do have that recognition that if they don't social distance, if we can't get our numbers under control, then they can't come back. So they too are recognizing that we all have to kind of do our part. If they want to have a senior prom, if they want to have a graduation, if, you know, if they want to just see their friends a little bit more than on FaceTime, we're all going to have to do our part. But I think also when the honeymoon's over, they know that grades are a thing this year. It's not like quarter four last year where it was enrichment. They could choose whether they wanted to do that. And I think they carried that perspective over to quarter one. Then it became, wow, we're having increased failures or we're having increased um, attendance issues. And so we as a school are trying our best to figure out how to mitigate those issues while still maintaining social and physical distancing and making sure that our students are okay. You know, it's a lot about the social emotional aspect now. We're seeing that, we're seeing mental health be such an issue and we're really trying to prioritize that at the forefront of any type of lesson that it, our wellness comes first and then academics. So I, yeah, that's a big, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have kids, but I, I know like just talking to my sister and to my mom, my, my nephew and my niece, they're, they're much younger, but you know, it does take a toll. Um, you know, they're, they, they want to see their friends. They want to hang out. Right. And, and it's not healthy to be at home this much, I guess, in that, in that sense. But, um, are, is Waikil, are you guys sort of hybrid again, or are you still hundred percent distance? Waikil High is, we would consider ourselves 100% distance. Of course, we have students on campus with high needs, whether it's, um, physical and mental needs or we're now starting the learning hub, I think it's called, where we bring really high-risk students back onto campus okay. to ensure that there's um, someone, an adult, supporting them at all times. Yeah, so they have services. So basically, you're, you're trying to you prioritize the students that need the most services first. Okay. Yes. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, you had like last quarter of, of last school year to kind of dive into distance learning. And, you know, you, you kind of hit, you kind of touched on it. It, it kind of turned into a, almost like, Hey, this is just practice. You know, we just want to make sure you guys kind of know how this works now that it's real. Um, are you finding it to be as effective, less effective or more effective as far as working with some of your students? I think that every student is different. However, I, I am seeing certain students thrive in this environment. Some students who typically either have to um, position themselves in the classroom in some way that they, in behavior wise, or when it comes to social interactions, they are thriving because it's, there's no longer, what are they wearing or what are they doing? And why, you know, all these other things that come along with being in the classroom. And I'm able to have direct feedback with them, you know, emailing, we can have one-on-one -on -one conversations through video conferencing and they are thriving. It, it's those students who really need someone to say like, hit on the desk, hey, wake up, yeah. sit up, you know, put your hands on a keyboard and things that we would do typically when we walk around the classroom, right? We kind of 
hey, come on, let's get going, let's get going. But we recognize that this situation right now that we're in with 100% distance is way better than what it would look like if we had to socially distance in the classroom, if we brought all kids back to campus. The way, that high school, yeah, the way that YIK High School organized it was that we created a bell schedule and it, it was pretty much like swinging into the works until they called off physical school with four cohort systems. Okay. So we broke the alphabet up into four, into four um, quadrants. And so students would come either, they'd be Monday students or Tuesday students or Wednesday students or Thursday students. And I can't remember what it was like back in your day in high school. But, <laughs> <laughs> we can but talk about there, that. <laughs> there's even and odd days. So okay. there's seven periods. So even days would be periods two, four, six. Odd days would be periods th one, three, five, seven, which means that they would only be going to one of those types of classes per time that they're on campus. So we would see them only once every two weeks. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, and that I, is I, not it, enough. It was a little different for us. We had, um, I think when we were there and your mom, you can probably ask your mom, she probably has a better memory. I know she has a better memory than me. Um, but, um, I believe we had six, six class, six periods, but every day only had five. And it was kind of like, Monday was one through five and then Tuesday was like six and started with six period or something like that. Something like that. I kind of, it was a long That's time a, ago. By the time I got there, yeah, it was way better. Many gallons of alcohol killed, killed some of those memory cells. So like, I, I don't quite remember, but we, we definitely had almost all our classes. I think we were at least in a peer, in a class with a teacher, a, a subject, at least four days out of the five-day week, if I remember correctly. So yeah, that would have been rough if you you're only working with a particular student once every two weeks. Yeah. Um, is, so do you? I, and just from my experience at for the day job, I've 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 had a couple of online classes, and um, I, I noticed right away that most of the kids don't turn on their video camera. Like just don't turn it on, and we're we're um, the classes I were running were kind of optional after school stuff, so obviously we don't make anybody do do anything. But um, it's quite a change because the interaction is mostly through the chat box, so um, it becomes for me it was a, as a facilitator it became a lot more difficult because. Not only am I talking and watching the screen and trying to manipulate my screen, but as things are flying up in the chat box, I also have to like be able to kind of answer questions. And some of the kids were sending me direct messages, direct questions. So now I'm I'm like breaking my train of thought from teaching a class to like answering one kid's particular question and then which may or may not have to do with anything about the class. But I mean, I, I, as a teacher, what kind of stuff have you been seeing? Have you been seeing a lot of that kind of stuff too? And what kind of adjustments have you been making? For sure. We have to recognize that we are not the same generation as this group of students, right? We didn't grow up with text messaging. I, I'll show my age as well. We didn't grow up with that. Yeah. And they have, they've grown up with it. They're, they're very familiar and able to communicate through emojis and all this kind of things that we have to kind of learn as non-natives in this tech environment. So when they when they engage in chat, it feels very natural to them. 
and they're used to group chats and all these other things. But yeah, I do notice at the same time, they don't turn on their cameras. They, they actively take those settings, right? Turn off mic, turn off camera before entering a video conference. And I think that we had some regulations in our, in our school handbook, even the state level handbooks of everyone has to have their camera on. They have to have their mics on at the beginning, but recognizing that that's not, a, that's, that's not appropriate for every student at every time being. Because while I want my students to engage and I want them to come to class, if they're doing, if they're being shuttled in a car somewhere, it's a little bit more distracting to have the camera on because then all the attention for the students is now like, where are you going? What you doing? And things like that. And I do notice that, you know, when they unmute, it's very loud in the background. I sometimes wonder how they're even being able to, to spend that attention with me. But like I tell them, right, they're embarrassed or they're, they're kind of shame, you know, with their, their backgrounds and their noise. I'm like, you know, it's life. It is what it is. And I appreciate any moment that they want to engage with me, whether it's with video, with a mic, through the chat. And I'm pretty flexible. Although I do recognize that talking to a screen of black boxes is very demoralizing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's tough. Like, so it is. I, I've done... Well, I mean, the first one we we did, um, I was just the the one kind of managing the the Zoom call or the online call and managing the text boxes and you know the chat. But the first volunteer I had, she had a hard time. She felt like she wasn't getting through to any of the kids because they weren't engaging, even in the chat. They, it wasn't. They weren't asking a ton of questions, and her way of interfacing with them was like wanting them to turn on their mic and answer some questions um but by the, so by the time i did mine a couple a month later um i just kind of was like well i'm not gonna i'm just gonna throw things on the screen i'll ask poll questions and let them type in the box or however they want to respond and yeah i think it was just an adjustment on how i communicate um they want to communicate via the chat the best move i've seen so far is when they only shoot their camera up from their like nose up so you can't really see what it looks like they're paying attention you can see their eyes and they're looking you think they're looking at the screen but you can't really see much else so you know that's that's always the the good move if you for you kids out there if you got to throw or actually adults too if you got to turn on your camera they're making you do it just shoot from like your forehead up and then they kind of it looks like you're paying attention but you don't really have to but um, do you think um, I, I, we, uh, the one thing I want to talk about is digital divide stuff, um, because that's a big topic. But before we jump into that, um, you know, we we got good news uh, yesterday about a possible vaccine. Um, so there's a chance that this this could be short term. What are the good things do you think that will happen that will come out of this current learning environment? Um, and what are some of the bad things that we're going to have to watch out for coming out of it? Yeah. Um, I think that the first good thing that we're learning is that kids can actually do homework. Shocking. Sometimes we forget, especially in high school, like get all your work done. We finished early time to sit down and do your homework in class. But we actually recognize that students can do work on their own. They don't have to be with us directly looking at us directly in our presence to do work. And these are things that have kind of have faded 
since the gener in the past generations. Mm. We expect kids to only do work in school. So that's something that I'm hoping will stick with us for the long term. Um, other things that I think will stick will hopefully stick with us is that there's no way to do meaningful assessments online if you're going to continue doing multiple choice and you know free response short answers kind of stuff. Hmm. There, when I when I create biology assessments now, I have to think about how is it applicable to the real world and how can I have them demonstrate authentic learning situations? Can I have them go and go and talk to someone else and learn something and reflect on that opportunity? Can I have them go and engage in their community in a socially distanced way and and have them reflect? And a lot of it is reflection and not so much grade applicability of you've completed 90% of these questions correctly, so therefore you have an A. Because we're seeing that if most teachers, many teachers don't write their own assessments. And mm -hmm. therefore all these multiple choice assessments are online and you can find any answer. You know, you wanna do cheat sheets with the, the Zoom thing, you can do cheat sheets all day with how to, how to search for answers online. So I'm hoping that authentic assessments are gonna come out of this learning environment. And something else for the teachers is that during distance learning, one thing is that once you get started with a class, it's like a steamroller, right? There's no stopping it. You yeah. can't just say, hey, hey, friend, just sit on the side, wait. You know how we would say, I'm going to queue up a video or I'm going to change the direction of class. It's like, well, if we're not prepared 20 minutes before class starts, we're, that class is not going to run appropriately. And so we are now forced to create our curriculum and create our instructional practices really thoughtfully ahead of time. So it's kind of set up for us from here on out as long as, you know. Yeah, but that puts a lot of burden on the teacher or more oh, burden sure. on the teacher. For but sure. I, I mean, I've heard teachers saying like, I'm one step ahead of the kids. I have one day's work ready to go yeah. ahead. And this is like teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, have been teaching for 20 years. You know, they are able to, you know, make a copy or run to make copies in the middle of class and get stuff done. But you can't do that anymore. Yeah. We had one day that the power went out, the internet went out and it was like, well, Early day for everyone. Can't do anything. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I think some of those um, older, older, probably more tenured teachers probably have those bag of tricks that they they did as far as classroom management and time management. Right? They they knew how to sneak in some things here and there, or, or that gives them some time during the day. But yeah, you're right. I mean, once you start the class, it's on. I mean, maybe you can play a video, but it, that's, you know, it doesn't work that well over Zoom nowadays too. So, you know, it's not like you can just do that anymore. But um, what what's some of the stuff that you think negative impacts that we're going to have to watch out for coming out of this? You mentioned mental health. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see anything else that we're going to have to look out for coming out? I think that I'm not seeing it so much in the high school because I know that they're they're nearly done with their K-12 education or their pre-K-12 education, but I'm seeing it with my my own children, you know, and I think that my older son is the same age as your nephew. Mm. They were in school together. And speaking from my own experience, you know, my my older son has developed such bad habits. So many bad habits. You know, he's seen this voice typing. So, oh, look, voice typing. And <laughs> It's not going to carry you through. And, you know, all these other things where, oh, class is an hour and then I have a half an hour break. The, the I don't know what that's called, the endurance 
the endurance to sit in class from eight to two has definitely gone away. And there are many elementary schools, many intermediate schools who are not doing the full day, you know, and I think Waiaki High School gets a lot of flack on, on our side of the island because we are committing students to being in class from eight to two every day. Mm. And that's just not a reality for all students. Now, that's not putting a blame game on the elementary schools or on the intermediate schools. It's just, we're gonna see that lack of endurance to stay focused and stay motivated throughout a school day from here on out. Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, but I mean, well, there's certain jobs you know, that, that pace of, uh, well, so where my brain is going toward is like, does that mean you kind of mentioned assessments needing to change and it's less about, you know, right answer, wrong answer, 100, 100 question tests anymore, right? So do you feel like project-based learning and those types of project type of activities um, fit the current environment? And do you see more of that being implemented or well, does it fit, first of all? And if so, do, do you think that it's gonna kind of continue coming out as far as when you guys get to be back in class together? Yeah, I think it does fit. And the reason why I think this is because what I'm seeing with my students who are recently graduating from college. So one of my students, my former students who graduated from Stanford recently was applying to jobs in computer science. And he was telling me that these jobs just sit you down and have you do a task in front of them. They watch mm. you on the video and call and do the task. It's not answering multiple choice. It's not interviewing appropriately. Remember all the answers. It's can you accomplish the task at hand? And that's some authentic assessment right there. That's not necessarily true, false, right, wrong, because the task can be accomplished in many different ways. And they're looking for how you tackle it, how you how you problem solve, how you wonder, how you communicate. And it's, I think that it's similar to when we hear about Hawaiian Airlines and those group interviews. And when they put you in um, situations, scenario kind of playouts. these are all the types of assessments that we're seeing in the career and in industry fields. And we just want our students to know that they're gonna be expected to do the same things. So it's task assessments and, you know, I think that also we're seeing that the college board is changing or that colleges are changing because they're saying test optional, SAT optional, don't have to take the ACT anymore. We don't, the colleges are not valuing that because it's not, it's not authentic to what the student can do. Yeah. I mean, when, when you take a practice SAT and then you can get better at taking the practice SAT to eventually get better at taking the SAT, obviously that's not a... The test taking is the skill, not necessarily what you're learning on the on the on the stuff or your knowledge base, which is always a trip. I had a I had a job interview once. The guy literally asked me what my SAT score was, and I said, "Oh, what? I, like, I don't even remember. I got into college, I got my degree. Does it even matter?" But for him, his his brain was so wired with that that assessment test taking ability that that meant a lot and you know I, I was like I can go look it up but I'm it was good enough to get into these schools so I know it wasn't too low but yeah it's a different world I I, f I feel like project-based learning um will kind of be the way to go especially if we stay in a hybrid environment because you can kind of assign I mean it's like work right you get assigned a, a, a task to do you get a deadline to do it and then 
how you go about it, when you complete it, it's it's on you. The hardest part I'm finding, and I'm still trying to figure it out, is um, the group work kind of aspect to it. So are you guys doing a lot of like, are you trying to get your kids to kind of break into smaller groups and kind of interact, um, at least in a smaller setting that way? For sure. Um, I'm doing that a lot more, and I'll be very honest, I'm doing that a lot with my AP students, my advanced placement students, because that those are things that they will have to encounter, right? When they just jump off into college, they're going to be doing group work, they're going to be doing group projects. And you don't want to be that person in a group project. Yeah. So, <laughs> but they hate it. They hate it so much. Sometimes they like talking in groups, they like going in breakout groups. But then I'm like, okay, figure it out. I'm not going to give you any more than this small set of instructions. And they're like, but what about this? But what about this and this and this and this? And it's like, well, you need to figure that out and talk to each other and figure out how you're going to come up with solutions to the problems at hand, right? You come up with a proposal to me on how you're going to solve this problem. And then I will give you feedback on it. Then you come up with a solution to the problem and then I'll give you feedback on that. But I'm not here to handhold. I'm not here to tell you that you're gonna meet at this time and meet at this time and meet at this time. I'm not gonna create the location in which you meet. Like this, these are things that are expected of you and expected of young adults immediately after high school graduation. So. Yeah, I think for the high schoolers, it's an interesting one because um, like I, I can tell you from a work professional setting, there's a good possibility that this kind of remote work stays in play, even if a vaccine is out and it works. Like I think a lot of companies are already in Honolulu. They're already giving up a lot of their commercial spaces. Um, and that's a long-term decision because they're saying at this point, we know we can do the work at home. So we're just kind of moving that way. So I, I think some of the high school kids that are doing this now will have somewhat of an advantage because it's a learned, you know, they're they're going to be going through college doing the same thing. And by the time they get to the workforce, they'll, they'll know how to work all this technology like way better than any of us and be able to like be used to um, working together online. Like I still want to meet with people in a group on a table with a whiteboard and post-it notes because that's the way I work. But that might not ever really happen again. Um, sure. So I mean, this, this is really funny. This morning, I was talking to my older son. He's in fifth grade. And I was like, oh, did you talk to so-and-so about meeting for, I don't know, a fortnight thing? I can't remember what they were talking about. But because then they don't have, they don't all have cell phones. Mm -hmm. So how did you figure that out? And they're like, my son just said, I made a Discord chat. And then we start like, talking to each other. I'm like, <sighs> you made a discord chat he's like oh yeah i just set it up added these people and now we're having this conversation and i'm thinking you're fifth grade wow i wish that my 10th graders were making discord chats to figure things out and meet but this is the new generation you know this is how they work if they're gonna be slack users by the time they're seventh grade all good you know let's let's yeah. encourage it's it's wild like i, I and i'm i'm making my way through discord i'm making my way through slack like i still don't i you know i use twitter that's about as twitter and instagram and stuff like that but you know some of these tools um are real useful and i, I feel like even my younger my younger co-workers or peers you know they're 
a lot more able to jump into this setting and are a lot more comfortable. And it's probably because of what you touched on earlier. Like we grew up talking to, I grew up talking to people, especially in Hilo. It's a very face-to-face, talk-to-the-person kind of place. Um, so to do the text thing and do, do things totally written or in chats is a little rough. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, and I wanted to see, because I know this is some something you you are passionate about, but it's place-based learning, right? So explain, why don't you explain what your take on place-based learning is and how you're implementing it? Sure. Um, place-based learning is learning from, with the intelligence of that location, learning from the land, learning from the water, learning from the culture, and learning from stories. And these are things that are very much promoted when we think about indigeneity and um, you know that, that native culture. So I recognize my place as a settler. You know, I recognize my position. And I think that it's really important that we help students recognize either, it's not even a binary of indigenous versus settler, but it's like recognizing their place and recognizing their own responsibility or their kuleana to the location that they're at and the appreciation for the culture that exists and that was the one of the first cultures here, right? So when I create lessons and I even create assessments for my students, it's always focused around place. It's always focused around why are we so appreciate, why should we be so appreciative of this location? You know, we are in Hilo. It is one of the most beautiful places on earth. You know, you're always chomping to get back here. Yeah, and it's, yeah it's I am. So it's wonderful. It's constantly in the works. Like I, I tell people all the time. In fact, I'm wearing my, I have a Vulcans t- uh, shirt on today, but, and I didn't go UH Hilo. But um, yeah, Hilo's a special place. And my plan is to die in Hilo whenever that time comes. Like that'll be the, Hilo air will be the last air I taste. Um, that's the plan. But anyway, I interrupted. But yes, you, you we're in a special, oh, but, you're in a special place. But that's, that's how wonderful it is. And for our students, it's not so much, I mean, I guess we could speak on the idea that our students are going to go to college and they might go to the continent for that and they will be the purveyors of knowledge and if they don't have that knowledge then that's not good right you're not promoting anything if you don't know what you're talking about but not even for those who are leaving but for those who are staying why is it so important why when we look up at the mauna it is so meaningful why is it when we go to um you know pihonua why is it when we go to honolii why is it when we go to even Liliuokalani Gardens. Why is it so important? Why is it so grounding when we put our feet on the earth, right? And something that I took from a recent reading, um, Braiding Sweetgrass was a novel that I had read this summer, but it talked about how when, when people colonize other places, they brought culture because they didn't have any intelligence to the land that they settled on. And that really hit me because, you know, when we think about intelligence, is it only just academic and, or not even academic, but is it only just textbook knowledge? Is it only just knowledge about global issues and um, people and theories? Or is it just, is knowledge of how to survive, the survivance of, 
of humans, the survivance of animals, plants, fungi, bacteria, everything. And as a biology teacher, it really grounds me to have students think about that. And it really hit me last week when I was doing an activity, I, you know, election week was kind of a weird week for yeah. everyone. Tell me about it. Many I'm still recovering. My liver is still recovering from last week. It was a rough one. <laughs> but I was saying to my students, like, you know, my bandwidth is so low at this point. I think your bandwidth is low as well. So let's focus on kilo this week. Let's just focus on walking outside, grounding our feet on the ground. And they're like, okay, so what is kilo? And all my students, oh, it's a thousand. It's a measurement. It's, and I was like, wait, but my understanding of kilo is observation. And my students who knew Hawaiian or who knew, who knew Olelo Hawaii had said, but this is science class. And it's like, but regardless if this is science class, you're not putting on some science hat. You're not expected to put on some Western perspective of science hat when you walk into my classroom, when you engage with me. I, I truly want to honor all um, forms of knowing, forms of learning. So we are going to kilo the way that we, we just innately know how. We look up to the sky, we look to the ground, we look around us, Malka, Makai, what do you feel? And what is that feeling when you go outside? And I got these really profound reflections from students. And some of them had mentioned that this was a strange week for me and this really helped me. Others, not so much. And I appreciate both perspectives, but that's part of our place, right? That's part of our place is just to appreciate first and then move forward as a community to, to support that culture. And your, your student kind of touched on it, which is leading to my next question is like, how do you, so I, I'm, I'm a big believer in recognizing place. Um, you know, in fact, I, I try to learn even like Mo'ili'ili where I live has a lot of history, a lot of stories. And I've, I've always tried to learn what was here. What's, what's been here before, who was living around here, what were they doing? But, um, and, and that, and I think, for us growing up in Hilo, while your perspective is a lot more um, forward than it was back then uh, when we were growing up, it, Hilo was still, it was somewhat in, in the undercurrent, like recognizing where you were and the, the special place and what was there before you, especially um, I remember distinctly, you know, just hearing stories, even like just about the tsunami and what was there before the tsunami came through and what's gone and what is now replacing that. And even that kind of churn of life, we, we kind of learned and having that, that, that idea of it, but your, your idea of place-based learning, very rooted in Hawaiian culture, our host culture, um, biology, while it's something that they, you know, Hawaiians understood the, the science of bi biology, at least with the way that's presented in school is a much more Western um, style of biology. How do you meld the two to, to teach them both? Cause they're going to have to, especially if they go to the continent, they're going to have to know the Western style. Um, if they stay here, it'd be great for them to know both, but how do you meld the, the two topics to be able to ultimately teach biology? It's a great question. And I think it comes down to what do we think is biology? You know, what do, what do we focus on and what do we maybe let go of? And 
I struggle with that often. I think that it's important for them to know all the experiments that helped shape what we understand in every textbook. But at the same time, half of this place-based education and half of what we understand as critical race theory is recognizing how biology has harmed so many peoples, right? That to figure out the syphilis thing, right? We, we did the Tuskegee syphilis survey and that is a problem. That's, that's a huge problem. Henrietta Lacks, that's a huge issue. And all these very unethical things have happened in biology in the name of progress. So when people view biology, right, they view the CRISPR gene and that all of these wonderful things are coming out and that's great, in, including the vaccine to COVID. But a lot of it, we have to recognize where is that line of ethicality and I think in, when we think about ethical nature of biology, that's where place comes in, right? That we want to see progress. We want to see um, development happen to support peoples, to support new knowledge. But also, are we recognizing the knowledge that was here? So making sure that students get the grounding of the vocabulary and the, the history of Western biology, but also get the grounding that not everything in the name of science is progress in, in an ethical lens. So um, my, my classes are typically set up in the five E model. And for many science people, they think about the five E's of engage, explore, explain, evaluate, and extend. And yes, a lot of the explore, a lot of the explain comes into Western biology, but it's, when you understand and you truly evaluate what is happening, that evaluation comes in through ethics and comes in through place-based knowledge. Can I now take what I understand in Western science and apply it to this situation? And a lot of education is, can I go into a new environment and engage, right? That's how I, I tend to um, explain my role as a teacher for students is that I want you to go into every environment and be successful. And it's not because you know everything because you can look it up. You can look up Hershey Chase experiment. You can look up, you know, how Watson and Crick figured things out. But if you don't know the story of Rosalind Franklin and how they really messed her up, you know, that's not okay. The, the ethicality comes in and bioethics is a huge issue and something that I, I push on in my classes. And yes. I know that's, that's here nor no, no. there, how that meanders. But. No, I mean, I think that makes sense because I guess where what when you were giving me that answer, I think the first place I went to in my brain was how a lot of scientists, especially once more Western influences started to come into Hawaii, um, tried to apply solutions to local problems without understanding that those solutions cause more long-term damage. For instance... Um, a lot of invasive species, both, both plant and animal, were introduced, and some of them were introduced with the right idea in mind, because on the continent or someplace else, it had worked, but not understanding that it doesn't, it doesn't have the same effect here, or it actually has a negative impact here, like mangrove, mangroves here, you know, a lot of coastal areas, it's great, it, it's, it, it helps um, strengthen the shoreline helps prevent erosion 
does all kinds of great stuff. So they started planting it all over the place. And next thing you know, it's actually choking out our streams and ruining fisheries and having more harm than good. And once they start yanking that stuff, the opai starts coming back, the the gobies, the native fish, the small river fish come back, and then the bigger fish start coming in and things become more healthy. But um, that's where my brain, as you were giving me that answer, that's where my brain was going. And that, But that's stuff we didn't learn, at least when we were in college. And that's no fault to your, your mom. It was just more of like, you know, what was in our textbooks, which was coming from Texas, was what we, we were ending up learning. Um, do you find that, because um, by now you have college, you have students that probably went away and graduated college and all that kind of stuff already, um, especially the ones that went away. Do you find that the way you teach helped them adapt to different places or give them, has any of them gave, given you feedback that understanding where they are, even if they go away, is 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 important? I think that um, it's a natural phenomenon. And maybe you can speak to this as well. But when I went away, I became so much more invested in my in my place, in my, in my hometown. Mm. Like I didn't, I took it for granted, you know, what the knowledge was here. I took it for granted so much. And then I went away and I became this like, like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. So every <laughs> summer I would come back, I'm going to do this hike and I'm going to go into this like new location and like really immerse myself in it and go into the Kipuka more and learn about the birds and things like that. And I think that I teach that all the time. Like I tell my students, especially those who are seniors, like this is your kuleana to learn it now. So you don't feel like you don't know when you get out there. And so many of them have come back and they don't necessarily tell me anything, but I, I see the change. I see the change in the appreciation. And I think because I mindfully, I mindfully know what they're going to kind of experience, not ex entirely, but I mindfully recognize that that shift will happen. I prepare them for that. Whether they acknowledge that I did that or not, it's all good. <laughs> but it's it's that shift. It's something that it's a natural phenomenon when we see kids go to college. And it's exciting because I want them to come back. I want them to to re-engage with the community. And we have these conversations that, yes, go away, learn but then bring back, right? Yeah. Bring back what you've learned. Um, and then also share, share knowledge, share understandings and just learn I, as I, much as you can. I think personally for, my, for me, my journey to get to that point of wanting to go home or, or that affinity or that love for home, I think the love was always there, but that, that yearning to return was a slower burn than yours. Like it wasn't, it wasn't until maybe only several years ago, more recently has, has my heart been thinking about that more and more. I think, I think, I think ultimately, you know, like for me, Hilo is, it's funny. I always end up talking about Hilo, especially Hilo people on this, on this podcast. Um, but it is a special place, but I think that, that innate or that learned appreciation for Hilo is kind of, woven into everything so you teach it in your classes but i can i can assure you like when we we're playing baseball when i go fishing you know like ev everywhere every people every person i i interface with that community and when i was growing up 
kind of already had that and would kind of build that pride in that place. And I think a lot of places in Hawaii are like that. Like you talk to somebody from Maui, they're going to be the same way, you know, like, oh, Wailuku, you know, they're from Wailuku or whatever. And they're going to have that affinity. Oh, I went Baldwin or oh, I don't know, whatever. But um, so where do you think, do you think, um, well, I don't know if Waikia is like that, but is it, do you find more and more teachers kind of going toward place-based learning at, at Waikia? Or, and do you see it kind of starting to be more of an accepted practice, just more in general? Yes and no. Okay. I think that at Waikia, we see we have a phenomenon where people come to this school because they want to stay at this school. So we have a lot of teachers who are kind of set in their ways. Mm. And that again, you know, they are amazing teachers. They teach amazing content and they connect with students and that's good. That's important. But something that is really special is that at UH Hilo, they have framed their school of education in a way that it embraces and it's foundational on Naho Pena'ao. And that is the ha. So the strengthened sense of belonging, responsibility, excellence, aloha, total well-being in Hawaii. They take teacher candidates on huaka'i. They they engage them in the culture. And whether they are from Hawaii, not from Hawaii, you know, we all have a shared and collective responsibility to help our students connect with this place. And that is what I'm seeing come out of UH Hilo. So when we have new teachers, it's exciting because well, more people to share that wealth with, more people to embrace and understand the mo'olelo and talk about different huaka'i that we can take our students on. And that's 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 something that now we're seeing a more phenomenon in smaller schools that have quicker turnover rates of teachers because those are new teachers. You know, they're they're getting ready, they're they're building their curriculum, they're starting it up. And so we don't see as much at the high school because we are a pretty traditional set. But I can see it happen all over the complex area. I can see it happen all over the island. And it's it's exciting. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time. Um, I mean, I like like I said, I'm I'm years ahead of you. And I I see teachers that are still at Waikia that I had. So and that's almost 30, 30, almost 30 years at the 25 years at this point. Next year, I think is my is next year my 35th or uh, 25th? Fuck, next year's my 25th. Yeah, so 25 years ago, um, you know, some of those teachers are still are still teaching at Waikia. So I can kind of see how at Waikia it could be a slower process because you're right. That's Waikia and Hilo for anybody who's from Hilo. Those are the schools if you're a high school teacher you want to end up at because it's home. Um, you know, and you probably have to start out at the smaller rural schools because that's where those are where the positions are are open. So I could see that happening, but I mean, I'm guessing somebody at Kau High School hopefully is implementing Kau Mo'olelo and Kau history and Kau landscape and surrounding surrounding areas into Pahala or Pahala stories, Na'alehu stories into what they're teaching. So. I think it's more of a philosophy. It's something I I think I see here uh, on Oahu a bit, um, especially in the the rural schools, the non-town towny schools. 
um, do it a little better. I think um, obviously some of the private schools do do some of that too. Um, long term, uh, we're getting close to an hour. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got mom stuff, which is why we 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 uh, you, we had to originally reschedule because you had mom stuff to do yesterday. But um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we you know maybe next school year might look like it could return somewhat to normal, at least in a hybrid sense. Um, what do you see happening long-term for at least your classes? Um, like, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish long-term, especially coming out of the pandemic? Cause it's obviously changing the way you're going to interface with your kids a little. What do you, what do you see coming out long-term? think that long term, no matter what, my vision stays true to my students that I want them to embrace an identity within science and embrace an identity within their place. I want them to feel connected to their community and their and feel responsibility to their community and their environment while still demonstrating excellence in all that they do. So that will remain steadfast. That's not changing. And I think that I continue to learn, I continue to grow, and I just continue, I just hope that that continues for everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, it's well said. I mean, it's, like I said, your mom was my teacher. It's awesome to see you also be a teacher and you have the same passion. She she was, um, she was tough. She was a, she's a very nice, she is a very nice woman. She was great, but she was a tough teacher because I think same idea like how you are like you she really pushed us to 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 be you know excel and like i was one of the fuck ups in the back and i was in like the i was in the back of the room you can ask her i was like in the back with the rest of the boys in the back row like not behaving and not being the best students and you know she was she was tough on us but she she pushed she pushed us to 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 excel and I can see that a lot of you carry on the same tradition, which is nice. I don't know if you you take that as a compliment, you know, like being compared I to do. your mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she was great. And a lot of a lot of people remember, you know, your mom, Mrs. Nicole, and had her, you know, so but um I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I, I appreciate all that you do for especially for YKL kids, Hilo kids. Um, and then um I hope I'm trying to come back soon, but hopefully we can see each other soon. Man, it's yeah, I do. I <laughs> maybe I may be back in Hilo sooner than than you think. Who knows? But <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you coming on and um, uh, take care. Aloha. Mm-hmm.